You're listening to Red Leg Nation Radio, the official podcast of RedLegNation.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to yet another edition of the Red Leg Nation Radio podcast. I'm your host, Chad Dotson, back from a brief off-season hiatus as we hit the new year here, 2010. Lots of things going on in Red Leg Nation, and thought it'd be a good time to get started back with the podcast. Joining us uh, once again, uh, your friend and mine from RedLegNation.com, one of our fellow editors, Bill Lack. How you doing today, Bill? Doing well, man. Getting excited now. I don't know what there is to get excited about. There's not really anything going on in uh, in, in Red's land these days, is there? I hadn't heard anything. Well, they signed this kid. I, you know, he died. We'll see. You know. I, I don't understand why everyone's getting so excited about this signing of uh, Araldus Chapman, the uh, 21-year-old uh, Cuban uh, defector. Uh, you know, he's a left-hander that throws over 100 miles an hour. What's the big deal? Yeah, they grow on trees. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> certainly they don't grow on trees in Cincinnati. And, and uh, we're uh, joking around a little bit here, but uh, this is sort of the biggest news in uh, for the Cincinnati Reds in quite some time. Uh, they're, the Reds announced had a press conference with Aroldis Chapman, a 21-year-old kid who defected from Cuba earlier this year, uh, pitched for the Cuban national team, and the Reds gave him a uh, contract uh, thir- around $30 million spread out over the next six years. Um, and uh, actually, the money is going to be spread out over 10 years, but it's a six-year contract. And uh, what do you think about this, uh, Bill? It's pretty exciting news. I- I'm real excited. Uh, you know, um I like the way the contract is structured because it doesn't hurt the team's uh, major league payroll this year. Even though, you know, that you know when they say, "Well, it doesn't come out of the major league payroll; it's coming out of the minor league payroll." You know, the, the guy at the top puts figures out how much money goes in each one of those baskets, so that doesn't mean much to me. But I like the fact that this escalates and gives the kid a chance to develop. He's not making a lot of money at the beginning, so that you know, you hope that that isn't going to and he, you know, isn't going to turn his head. Uh, it sounds like the Reds, to me, are going to are going to allow this kid to develop. They're not going to put a lot of pressure on him early. Excuse me. Uh, the the paper here, the local paper here today, talked about him starting either in in A or Double A. And, and you and I have talked in the past that you know with these high draft picks, and and, and, and I think this is basically like signing a high draft pick. Uh, I like the idea of starting them a little below where maybe you think they, they could compete and, and allowing them to experience some success before you really start challenging them. Uh, this kid's going to have a lot of um, development to do and a lot of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It just ran out of my head. Uh, you know, he's going to have to adjust to a, new, a whole new life. You know, he's living in the States now. Uh, he's going to have to learn the language. You know, even things as small as food. You know, learning how to, where to live and those kinds of things. They're all adjustments for this kid, and and I think it'll be easier for him to do at a minor league level when everybody's making those kind of adjustments. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with one hundred percent of that. I think that it's especially in this case, especially with Aroldis uh, Chapman, starting him somewhere where he might be able to taste some success in America early on. Uh, you know, get his feet under him. I think is uh, essential, and I wouldn't have any problem no matter where they started the started him. Uh, of course, in the press conference, Walt Jockety said that they're not ruling out him earning his way onto the big club out of spring training. But 
I think that was sort of just so much lip service. I mean, this guy's going to go down to, I'm guessing double A, but it could be a high A in Lynchburg, and, and he'll get a chance to really uh, get his feet wet. I, I don't think you can underestimate what something that you just mentioned, which is that this kid is from Cuba. He'd never heard of Tony Perez uh, in his life, which uh, amazes all of us, certainly since uh, Perez is one of the greatest players to come out of Cuba. Um, you know, this is a, he sort of lived a, a life that's been a little bit sheltered in Cuba, and he's now coming to the States where he's going to have some freedom, he's going to have some money, and he's going to uh, be trying to learn the language and learn the culture, which is something that uh, Chapman himself talked about in the press conference, just learning the culture and what life's like in, in the States. It's not going to be like he's just showing up uh, out of uh, high school, you know, and, uh, and uh, doing the same thing he's always been doing, which is pitching. He's got a whole lot of other things to deal with. So I, I, I don't have a problem at all with him starting him slowly. And I, I like, as you said, the way this deal is structured because it gives them the flexibility to, to bring him along a little bit uh, more slowly. Right, and it, and it isn't going to take a bite out of them, you know, a, a, a much of a bite out of their, their budget until I, I think I read 2014. Right. And by that time, we've cleared basically any payroll that we've got at this point off the books. So this is really going to be the first big chunk out of that year, I would think. Absolutely. Um, you know, everybody, everyone's talking about the potential of this kid, and you know, some people are saying, "Oh, it's too much money to spend on an unproven kid." But uh, at this point, I think it's a, uh, I think it's a good idea to talk about the upside of this young man. Everyone is, uh, you know, people are split on whether he's actually going to reach this upside. But everyone agrees this kid is just special. He uh, throws, uh, reaches 100 uh, fairly easily, evidently. He, uh, or certainly the high 90s fairly easily. He has a pretty good slider, according to everyone. His, his changeup is, uh, you know, uh, some people say it's been said that it's good. Some people said it needs work. They're going to have him working with Mario Soto this spring on his changeup. Um, but uh, the ceiling, according to almost everyone, is number one starter, ace of the rotation, if, uh, if he pans out. Um, hey, that's where I want to see the Reds committing money. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any argument about that. I mean, you, we can all make the case for a, a worldwide draft and, and that kind of thing, and I don't think anybody would argue that the, the international kids ha, have a, a, a tremendous advantage when it comes to how much money they can make over the, the homegrown kids, and, and I think that's a, a, an inequity in the system that needs to be addressed. But that doesn't have anything to do with what this kid could end up doing for this ball club. Absolutely. You, you know, we, well, we'll talk about what uh, the potential in a couple of years of a rotation. Uh, you know, think about uh, having uh, Chapman plus Edinson Volquez and Johnny Cueto and Homer Bailey and, you know, Mike Leake, last year's number one pick, and our favorite, uh, Matt Klinker. We're going to throw him into the mix here, too. Um, uh, Red Leg Nation spotlight player. But uh, it's, it's, it's just amazing to think about the possibilities. If things go right, and it's a big if, but if things go right, the possibilities. Uh, of the pitching rotation that we could see in Cincinnati. It blows my mind. It's like nothing we've ever seen. Well, and, and one of the best things to me, and, and we've seen it on the blog, and, and, and uh, my guess is you're seeing it in, in a lot of the, blo the Reds' blogs, um, is the fact that this has been the most excitement we've had in the offseason in Cincinnati since probably since Junior came to town. Yeah, probably. Um, now, I don't know that this is going to translate into ticket sales in, in 2010, you know, but it's still, it's an excitement. It shows that the, it, it, it again shows that maybe the Reds have a plan. And, right. And I would make the argument that except for the Scott Rowland deal, the Reds have pretty much stuck to that plan for the last couple of years. 
uh, and you can argue that Roland was brought in for veteran leadership and, and you know, the yada, yada, yada. But I like the fact that the Reds seem to understand that for them to experience any long-term success, they're going to have to build from within the organization and, and develop their own talent. And this seems like another brick in that wall. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you could go out and spend uh, money for uh, any number of free agents that are on the market, but if you're going to commit some money, this seems to me like uh, Walt Jockety uh, uh, really, you know, well, kudos to Jockety, I guess is what, the way I want to put it. Uh, I think this is a very wise use of resources, and, uh, you know, we hammer on Jockety for some of the things he's done, and neither of us really understand uh, or buy the explanation for the Scott Rowland trade. Uh, not that we dislike Rowland, but, you know, uh, in terms of a plan for this organization to compete over the next five years. It didn't really make sense. But this, it goes along, like you said, some other uh, things we've seen where they've been slow to uh, give up on some younger guys and to protect some of those younger guys. Uh, you know, maybe they do have a plan, and maybe they're, maybe we should have more of a reason to be excited than even we had thought uh, previously. So that's something to, something to think about. Um, if you want to get excited about uh, something, listen to what, uh, you know, John Fay in the Inquirer, he had a, posted uh, some quotes from Jerry Walker, who's uh, one of Walt Jockety's top scouts. Uh, Walker is uh, who the, one of the guys the Reds sent down to Houston to watch uh, Chapman throw back in the middle of December. Uh, Chapman had a big workout, and a bunch of major league teams came to watch him. And, and Walker said, quote, he's got a great athletic body. He has an arm of super strength. At no time during the workout did I feel he let it loose. He was free and easy, and the ball just jumped out of his hand. That's what you want from a young pitcher. Um, and you know uh, that that's amazing in itself. Uh, you know they said he was getting he would he they wouldn't let him really let loose during that workout, but he reached 97 uh, consistently, a, a legit 97, not one of these you know scoreboard uh, 97s. Um, and as, for his other pitches, Walker says I call it a slider, but it's a mix of a slider and curve. Has a sharp break. He kept it down in the zone that day. It was in the low 80s. His changeup was good. He commanded it well that day. Uh, as far as velocity, it was low 70s, 76, 70, up to 76, 77. And he was also cutting the ball that day to get it to sink. Throwing a two-seam and a four-seam. Uh, Walker's uh, conclusion, he's an exciting young man to watch. And just listening to that uh, makes me excited, absolutely. Me too. I mean, I, it sounds like he's got all the tools. Um, the things I've read is that, you know, and I've read the same some of the same things you have. It sounds like you've read a lot more than I have, but... You know, if you're going to learn, if you're going to improve your changeup, you're going to have a hard time finding somebody better to, to work with than Mario Soto. Uh, the thing is that I want to caution people is let's not jump off the this kid's bandwagon when he when he struggles. Again, as you and I have said many times, young players struggle. You know, he may come out, you know, he may be Nuke Lelouch. You know, in his first two or three starts in, in the minor leagues. You know, he may get so amped up or be so nervous that he, he hits the bull. But and control and control is the issue with him right now. That's something yeah. he's got to – so that's probably not a bad uh, comparison, uh, Nuke, uh, Nuke Chapman. But, you know, let's give the kid a chance to mature and learn how to play the game here. And 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 see what he's you know see what he he can accomplish. Uh, but uh, this is a very exciting move by the Reds. I, I I just kudos to the Reds on this. Yeah, it's uh it's it's the first time you know I posted something at Red Nation a while back about how I was more apathetic about the Reds at this point in uh, it was back in December than I had been in an off season in a long time. And you know sort of in one fell swoop here, uh, 
the Reds have, have changed that, along with really sort of looking at some of the young talent. You and I have talked about some of the young talent and the reasons that we have to be excited. But, uh, but I'm, I'm so glad you brought up the uh, – because uh, we're going to ring this bell, I would say, many times. Don't get down on this kid when he struggles. When he if he comes out of the blocks and isn't doing well, or if, you know he hits a big stumbling block in the middle of the season or whatever, he's 21 years old. 21 year old kids are very rarely uh, excelling in the major leagues. This kid's going to be in the minor leagues to learn. He's got all the tools. Let's help him put it together. I love the fact that he's got Mario Soto to work with. Uh, you know, certainly when you talk about the language uh, issue. Having Soto and, and even Johnny Cueto and Edison Volquez and Ramon Hernandez, who I didn't think the Reds should resign, will help though. Uh, certainly this spring and uh, even before this spring, Jockety said today that um, Chapman's going to be going down to Florida right now to start working with uh, with Ramon Hernandez. So uh, give this kid some time to adjust and to learn. Uh, you know, with some of these uh, people teaching him, and and don't get down on him if he doesn't excel immediately, because. If this kid can really put it all together, goodness gracious, I, we're we're in for some uh, some fun times possibly in Cincinnati, assuming we can get somebody that can hit the ball. Yeah, the the one, the other thing that I thought was interesting in the in the press conference was that they stressed one of the factors that they liked about the Reds organization was that the manager spoke Spanish, the pitching coach spoke Spanish. The catcher spoke Spanish, and that there were—I forget how many—Latin players on the right. big league club. You may it, it makes you wonder whether this gives Dusty another little toehold. Possibly. I mean, uh, this day and age, I don't. I think uh, the more people you've got that can speak Spanish and can relate to the Latin American players uh, or the Latin players. Um, the more you've got, the better I think you're going to be as an organization because that's another selling point. And, and clearly, they talked about it today. That wasn't one one of the selling points for uh, the Reds being able to sign him. So, with respect to Dusty in particular, uh, you know, yeah, you're right. That maybe that's something that helps him uh, get a little toehold where some of the rest of us are afraid he's going to be around after this year. Yeah. I still, I, th- I think the Reds have got to certainly have an exceptional year for him to keep his job. In I, my opinion, I do too. I think they need to. I think they need to make the playoffs for him to keep his job. I, I honestly I do. do. Yeah, I do, I do too. I really feel that. Be, and my reasoning is because it's the last year of his contract. Yep. He's, he wasn't Jockety's guy. Jockety didn't hire him. And, um, you know, we say uh, Krivsky hired him, but really Krivsky probably didn't either. He's sort of Castellini's guy. But Jockety's clearly got Castellini's ear. And if Castellini wants to bring in his own guy, I would expect that to happen once they're out from underneath the financial obligations that the, they owe to Dusty at the end of this year. But, but you're right. That, you know, uh, I, frankly, we don't compliment Dusty too often, but I like the fact that he can uh, can uh, speak Spanish and can uh, relate to this kid. I think that I think that's going to be helpful in the spring. And you know who else speaks Spanish? Who's that? Barry Larkin. Ah, there you go. That's who needs to be our next manager. We've been saying I've been saying it anyway. That's who needs to be the next manager. That's where I was hey. taking you. I was going to lead yeah. you right over there. Yeah, you led me right down that path. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all over that. And, but, I, and, uh, and you and I are both big, huge Barry Larkin fans. Yeah, we're going to talk about uh, the news with Larkin from the last week here in just one moment, but uh, that'd be a great uh, deal. But uh, but when I heard him say that in the press conference, to go back to your point that you had made, that one of the reasons was why, that, that they picked Cincinnati was that there was already, you know, sort of a, a group in place that spoke Spanish and that, and that the kid would feel comfortable here. And I, I just... That sort of perks my ears up immediately because, um, you know, 
that is a huge when you talk, start to talk about this international scouting to me that's a that's a that's a huge signal out there that the Reds organization is serious about uh, their, their you know scouting uh, internationally and, and putting together an organization that uh, makes it easier for these kids to adjust so well they've made uh, three big deals in the you know three big splashes in Latin America in the last what three years absolutely you know, you know and, and, and I think we're both becoming fans of Jorman Rodriguez who they signed and um, I, yeah I agree I think that maybe you know you know, money's money, and uh, the Reds have clearly put some more of it into international scouting than some clubs, and uh, maybe starting to pay some dividends. Yeah, I mean, they're talking about. I know Doug Gray. I, if I remember right, Doug told me he thinks that, that Rodriguez will be in Dayton this year. I, I, I'm a little hesitant to believe they're going to ship a 17 year old kid to play in Dayton, but I hope he's right because that means I'd get to watch him. Uh, yeah, I did see him play one time last summer down in the in the Gulf Coast League. Uh, you know, one game, it's not – he looked lost in center field, but then, you know, they said when he got to, to Billings, he played very well defensively. And you can't judge anything off of one game. I mean, I only saw the Gulf Coast League kids play that one day. Yeah. Yeah, I, he had a better year than a lot of people um, had feared he would have. You know, he really made progress this year. So, hey, I'm uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with the way that's going, uh, you know. Yeah, my guess is there aren't a whole lot of 16- or 17-year-olds playing in the Pioneer League. No, no, they're definitely not. And so, just the fact that he's even—they're even talking about possibly having him uh, start the year in, uh, even if it's low A, but still in, in A ball. That's that's way ahead of schedule for a kid that age. So yeah, that's that's strong. Yeah, absolutely. So well, we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm predicting that they start this kid in Double uh, A. You got a prediction uh, in terms of uh, Aroldis Chapman? You got I think he'll be in Lynchburg at least for a few starts. Uh, you'll get a chance to get in your car and drive down there and see him. Uh, yeah, if he's in Lynchburg, I'll definitely go check him I mean, out. If, he, you know, I, if I had my way, he'd be starting here in Dayton. That way I could go see him. But <laughs> I, I don't think right. they'll start him that low. But I, like I said, I think that they'll they'll want to put him at a level where they think he can compete and enjoy some success, or at least I hope that's what they do. And and it, it seems to be – double A seems to be where, the, where players, to me, seem to struggle. When they make that yeah. jump from A to double A, most kids. So if it were me, and you know, thank God for all us Reds fans that it's not making those kinds of decisions. <laughs> Amen. I yeah, I would start. <laughs> I would start him in Lynchburg. Yeah. Well, uh, we, we had that conversation about uh, where Mike Leak, the last year's number one pick, should start as well. It'd be interesting to see where both of those guys. They may both start in Lynchburg. Uh, you know, to try to get Leak a little bit of success as well, because he's not pitched professionally yet, other than out in the winter league, but uh, or the fall league. Yeah, where but, he pitched uh, very well. Pitch very well, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how that uh, plays out too. That's a couple of uh, stud prospects. I mean, we're talking about really a couple of top of uh, you know, if you want to put it in draft terms, Leak obviously was a top ten pick, and uh, Ch- Chapman certainly would have been a top ten pick if he were uh, in in the draft last year. So we got two guys, uh, at, you know, starting with the Reds this year, pitching professionally, that are top ten top talents, and they're both starting pitchers and. Um, it makes me want to dance. I think I'm going to dance. Okay, I'm back. Okay. Um, it just it's 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 something like we've not seen in Cincinnati in a long time. And you know we can complain about the needs the Reds have on the major league level this year, but um, hey, they're they're strengthening the organization in in some areas. So uh, it's good news. Uh, there's something else I wanted to talk about with respect to Chapman, and I cannot even think of it. So anything else you've got to? Uh, Nope, that you just, have about him. Just excited about 
You know, I, I hope I get to see a, a chance to see the kid pitch. You know, before is it Great American? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and we look forward to getting your uh, your reactions, your scouting report once you do get to see him. Um, but now there's some other big news, uh, a sort of big news, I guess, from the past week. And uh, this was going to actually lead off our podcast, but uh, the the Chapman stuff sort of dropped it from the radar a little bit. And that's the fact that this past week we saw the uh, the results of the voting for the 2010 National Baseball Hall of Fame. And uh, our, our buddy uh, Barry Larkin, our guy, was in his first year on the ballot and, of course, did not make it. He was fifth in the voting. Only one person was elected. That was Andre Dawson. We'll talk about whether or not he should have been uh, elected in just a moment. But Barry Larkin was fifth behind uh, Dawson, Burt Blylevin, Roberto Alomar, Jack Morris. Um, but Larkin did get 51.6% of the votes in his first year. Uh, what are your thoughts about uh, the, the Hall of Fame election? Well, I mean, I, I'm glad Barry did as well as he did because most of the, the predictions that I saw had him doing not nearly that well. Uh, this, this guy that prognosticates and that, that they get, and I can't think of his name now, it ran out of my head, um, that predicts the, the votes had him in the, I don't know, it was the 30s, I think, that they predicted he'd be in. Was that, was that the guy from the Hall of Fame, actually, or the Hall of Fame researcher? Yeah, or something? yeah that's yeah, the guy yeah, I'm I saw talking that. about. Yeah, I saw that. Peter Gammons, uh, formerly of ESPN, he predicted uh, you know, that he would get around 70%, I think, or uh, something like that. So certainly he was in the middle of that. I'm glad it wasn't as low as uh, what I saw. I can't remember the guy's name that predicted in 30% or whatever he predicted. Um, everyone that's had at li- at over 50% of the vote in their first year on the ballot, like Larkin did this year, everyone else that's ever had at least 50% has eventually been elected to the Hall of Fame. So that's uh, that's a good sign for Larkin, but... Why in the world wasn't Barry Larkin elected on the first ballot? Explain it to me. Can't do it. Uh, the the uh. thing that, I mean, I can understand, you know, I guess, the what, what I can't understand is people that didn't have him on their ballot. I know. Uh, and, and if you voted for Roberto Alomar, how you didn't vote for Barry Larkin, I don't understand. Uh, yeah, that's the point that you had made to me uh, when we talked last week. Uh, yeah, there were, you know, a hundred and... I don't know, 110 people, 120 people, something like that. Let's see here, 119, exactly, 119 uh, people that voted for Alomar but did not vote for Larkin. Um, how? How does that happen? I don't know. I mean, well, my opinion is that uh, Alomar should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer, and Larkin as well. I think that they're just they're similar type players, similar production, uh, you know, both great in the field, both uh, exceptional hitters for their position. Um there's just, uh, well, there's, there's only two things that I can think of. Uh, Alomar spit on an umpire, and that's, I truly believe that's the only reason he didn't make it first ballot. And Larkin with the injuries, and uh, he, you know, he, he wasn't on the field as much as he, uh, some other guys, and also the fact that Larkin played in Cincinnati. Uh, those are the only thing, reasons I can think of why Larkin didn't get it, and none of those are legitimate to me. I, I think Larkin's performance on the field justified and, and merited being elected on the first ballot. I'm, I think it's a disgrace, frankly, that Bly Levin, Alamar, and Larkin weren't elected this year. I, I think it was a disgrace. I, I, I think with Larkin, I think it's more an, uh, the injury bug than playing in Cincinnati. Uh, I agree I, with that. I mean, we, we've, we've put borderline guys into the Hall of Fame from Cincinnati. I mean, yeah, I think you could argue that Tony Perez is a borderline Hall of Famer. I'm yeah, but... The difference is he's a borderline big red machiner, and uh, I think uh, you know there's a difference that's between true. anybody else that's ever played in Cincinnati and those guys on their machine. That's true. Uh, but you're right. I think it was the injuries more more than the Cincinnati. I yeah. agree with you. Yeah, 
but I, you know, he'll, he'll it'll happen. Uh, you know, would we like to have been first? You know, first bounce, sure. But you know, I can't I can't say that I'm um, up in arms, ready to burn down the Hall of Fame because of it. I mean, there've been there've been worse decisions made, and there've been better decisions made. Um, yeah. Well. I, I, I just don't understand, you know, I I just don't understand how someone could not put him on their ballot at all. Yeah, well, my opinion, uh, you know, talking about worst decisions made, one of the worst decisions that have been made was, frankly, to put Andre Dawson in. And we we diverge a little bit on our opinion of Andre Dawson, but I don't think Andre Dawson is a Hall of Famer. If he is a Hall of Famer, he is extremely borderline. um, And I don't understand... You know, Larkin has a much better case than Dawson. How, if you're going to put Dawson, you can't put in guys like Larkin and Alomar. Because I just, it looks to me like they're so much more deserving than Dawson. If you think Dawson's a, a Hall of Famer, well, these guys, their case is so much better. I just, I, it blows my mind. That's what irritates me more than anything. Not that he didn't get in, because he's gonna, Larkin's eventually going to get in. It's the fact that they didn't put Larkin in, but they did put in Andre Dawson. And I, I, I don't get it. I, I really don't. Well, see, and I I watched Andre Dawson play for a lot of years, and and you know you, you're just a young pup. <laughs> yeah, I wish. And, and you you know, and I don't have a problem with him in the Hall of Fame. I, I I think you know, can you make the argument that he's a borderline Hall of Famer or not a Hall of Famer? Yeah, I guess you can. You know, but he's got credentials too. I mean, he. And I'm looking at, uh, at Baseball Reference and their Hall of Fame standards, and Barry Larkin's a 47, out of, you know, and Andre Dawson's a 44. So, I mean, the, the difference between the two isn't that much. Is it worth 20 percentage points of worth of difference? Uh, in that uh, L- Dawson got, uh, well, Dawson got 78% and Larkin got 52%? Yeah, but he did this year. Yeah, I know. And, and, but... I mean, we're, we can argue about, you know, do you get better as you get older, but, I, you know, it depends on who all's on the ballot. It depends on you know, and whether you like it or not, that's just the way people vote. If you you know, if you want to redo the way the Hall of Fame balloting is done, then then you can make the argument. But you know, guys, if their percentages improve the longer they're on the ballot if they're going to make the Hall of Fame. I mean, that's what happened with Tony Perez. He didn't get any better, you know, after he retired, but his percentages went up every year. And that's the same thing with Andre Dawson and Jim Rice last year. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, that's that's your your problem is the people that are voting. I think you got some people that don't uh, understand. If a guy's a Hall of Famer, he's a Hall of Famer in year one. Um, Andre Dawson, you're right. He didn't get any better in the intervening years. Uh, you know, we've joked around saying, well, he had a real good 2006 season. You know, it bumped his numbers up a little bit. So, uh, no, he didn't. He didn't play. He's not played since uh, 1996. His numbers aren't any better. And his numbers, frankly, to me, you know, I mean. A 3.23 on base percentage is awfully low for a guy you want to call the best of the best uh, or among the best of the best to me. Uh, but, you know, I, okay, I can live with Andre Dawson as a Hall of Famer. A guy won a Rookie of the Year, won an MVP, you know, made a bunch of All-Star games. Uh, you know, I mean, he, he wasn't a bad player. He was a good defensive player, won a he bunch was, of gold I mean, gloves. He was, a, he was a, you know, a, a top 10 MVP guy, what, three times, four times? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, you know, you know gold, I'm not going to argue a that. gold glover, he, you know. There wasn't any. He could steal bases. You know, there wasn't anything the guy couldn't do. Yeah, you're in danger when you say I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. You're in danger. People taking that as saying that you don't. You're saying that he's not any good. And I don't mean that. I think he should be right. in the Hall of the very good. Um, but uh, you know, I don't think he, he quite measures up to what the Hall of Fame should be in my mind. But then again, everybody has their own idea about that. And and I can, I can live with Andre Dawson being in the Hall of Fame. He's not. You know, he's not going to disgrace the Hall of Fame. 
But I just I don't like some, and there, I guarantee, and I'd like to know what the percentage of players were, uh, voters were that didn't vote for Larkin just because they say, well, he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, you know, they'll end up voting for him later, uh, even though nothing's going to have changed, just because they don't think he deserves to be in on the first ballot. And that, that type of thinking just, well, it irritates me. I, I don't understand it. It, it. You know, Larkin and, and Alomar should have been elected on their first ballot this year. Blylevin should have been long been in long ago. He looks like he's going to get in next year. Do you um, think Jim Rice was a Hall of Famer? No. Okay. I do. I do not. Uh, I think that was a, just a. Well, I think it was a ridiculous pick. I just don't think his again Hall of the very good and, and and at his peak he was he was a great player, but uh, you know I don't think he was. I don't think he was half the hitter a guy like say Edgar Martinez was, and Edgar Martinez may never get in because of uh, yeah, he plays DH. Isn't a baseball player. Yeah, but he's a hitter though. Yeah, <laughs> and he, but you know if you're gonna you know. It, it, is that your only criteria? Absolutely you not. To no. Be a baseball player. No, I, no, it's absolutely not your only criteria. But you look at uh, a guy like uh, Edgar Martinez. Let's compare his uh, hitting to uh, Andre Dawson's. Andre Dawson, a one nineteen OPS plus, which of course is adjusted for era and league and and the competition mm-hmm. you're playing with. One nineteen plus OPS, one nineteen OPS plus in his twenty one season career, which is good. I mean, that's certainly good. Edgar Martinez, one forty seven. So, uh, you know, how good a hitter – is there a point where you can be a good enough hitter where it overcomes the fact that you're just a DH? And if, if you can, it's going to be Edgar Martinez because this guy was – there were very few hitters as good as him. And I guess, uh, and I guess my prejudice against the DH is showing because, yeah, no. you know, I, if it were up to me, I would ban the designated hitter today. Me and Crash well, Davis, you know. Yeah, that's right. It's a, it's a fascist. <laughs> I agree. Um, it is fascist, but – and, and I would have a hard, if I were a voter, and, and obviously I'm not, but I would have a hard time with the Edgar Martinez question. That'd be one that I'd really struggle with because as a hitter, there's no question he's a Hall of Famer. But, you know, there's a whole lot more to baseball than just hitting. So, um, you know, I'd have, I've had, I've had some, I would have some questions about that. I agree with you on that. But, uh, you know, Jim Rice, well, that's what to get back to him, I, I think this is two straight years where there's two guys, in my opinion, that shouldn't be in. But... Like I said, everybody's got their own uh, idea of what the Hall of Fame should be, and, and, and those guys certainly have, Dawson and Rice both have their, uh, you know, there are arguments to be made uh, in their favor, and, you know, neither one of them are going to disgrace the Hall of Fame. It's not like they're putting in, uh, you know, Juan Castro or somebody. Right. So I mean, I'm looking uh, at Rice's stuff now, and, and he played 16 seasons, and he was in the top five of the MVP voting five, one, two, three, four, five, six times in 16 seasons. That's strong. Well, it is strong. What was his career uh, OPS plus? 128. 128, which is strong as well, but... Uh, you know, the, his on-base on, on percentage was 350, uh, you know. A, a big argument against him, though, is, you know, you look at his career, and I can't remember who I saw him being compared with, but... Uh, the fact that Fenway Park inflated his numbers so much. Oh, absolutely, and I think that's absolutely the case. So. And, and again, he's another guy that 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 had problems at times staying healthy. Yeah, you know, yeah. eighty and eighty-one, eighty he played one hundred twenty-four games, eighty-one he played one hundred and eight. You know, then he then he was healthy for a few years, and then his you know his last few years he, you know, he struggled a little bit more. Uh, but I, I guess, yeah, I guess. I don't know what the dividing line is, like you say, between the Hall of the Very Good and the, and the Hall of Fame. Well, my my issue, I guess, as it goes back to relate back to the Barry Larkin situation, is 
if you want to say that Dawson and Rice are Hall of Famers, fine. Uh, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they were great players. I mean, they really were. Um, I, don't, I wouldn't have voted for them, but like I said, there are arguments. But I don't know how you look at guys like Larkin and Alomar, and I just don't know how you look at their career compared to the people they played against and determine that those guys were not the elite, that they weren't Hall of Famers. Uh, worthy of being placed in on the, in on the on the first ballot. For those of the people that didn't vote for those guys specifically because they didn't think they were first ballot Hall of Famers, I say it's bull. Um, we talked earlier. You remember, uh, and maybe you'll remember a little better than I about uh, how much better Larkin was than his contemporaries. You remember that? Uh, yeah, that it, yeah. It, he was dramatically better than any of the other shortstops that played at the same time. He would. I don't remember the exact numbers, but uh, the article that I read, it was. He was as much above his contemporaries as the big red machine was above the rest of the league in offense, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's what people kind of forget a little bit because we hit the, you know, we had that period where Jeter and and A Rod and Nomar were doing crazy things at shortstop, and even now, you know, Tejada and then some others, a little bit better hitters at shortstop. People forget that Larkin was a revolutionary in his time as well. He was a Gold Glove fielder, but an MVP at shortstop. He was he could hit with power. He could well. Bill James called him probably the most complete player in the history of baseball. Uh, you know that's as high praise as you can get. And uh, when they showed the the numbers of how much better in terms of win shares, I believe it was James' statistic win shares, how much better he was than uh, the other shortstops of his time. I wish I I forgot to bring that pull that article up, and I can't remember where I saw it now, but um, it was just astounding. And and the other shortstop who's not in the Hall of Fame, who was, I guess, second place in terms of the gap between him and the rest of his league at the time, who was it? Davey Concepcion. Davey Concepcion. So, um, hey, if you're going to put guys like uh, Jim Rice in the Hall of Fame, how about putting in uh, Concepcion? Uh, selfishly, I'd like to see that. So, Well, if you're going to uh, put in Phil Rizzuto. Yes. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are, there are so many mistakes that were made in the, from the earlier part of the century that compared to some of those guys – Concepcion should be a shoe in, but Larkin should be, you know, a hundred percent of the vote compared. If you're going to compare it just to the, I guess the least common denominator already in there. So yeah. maybe he'll get in next year. I'm of the opinion it'll probably take him at least two years. Uh, what do you think? I don't remember. Was it two years from now when the when the ballots stacked? I can't remember. There's there's one of the years that's upcoming is is a big year for for guys, and I can't even remember now. It's been a couple of weeks since I read the article. But it's a stacked ballot. You know, a lot of big names going to be eligible that year, and and I think that's going to hurt the guys that are that are that are carryovers. Right. If Larkin, you know, uh, in the next couple of years can keep pushing that uh, number up there, he might still be able to sneak in, even if it's a heavy uh, heavyweight ballot. But uh, he's going to get in eventually. I think everyone realizes that, and so there's not as much urgency. It's his first year. He's got 14 more years. But I I hate it. I, I thought he should have gone in. But as I said uh, on the blog. Uh, selfishly, you know, it's really a good thing for me if it maybe takes him two or three years because my son is still a little bit young. By the time Larkin gets in, maybe he'll be a little older and we can make a trip up to Cooperstown for the ceremony. That, that'd be nice uh, on a selfish personal note, I guess. Well, I'm sure that's why Barry wants him to not vote him in until then. I, you know, well, I'm sure that's I'm gonna, what he's thinking. I'm going to ask if he'll just make that public uh, to the voters the next couple of years. So just wait. Let's wait, and then, you know, he can call. If Larkin wants to call me every uh, every few months just to see how my son's doing, that'd be fine. I'll, then, I'll give know, him an You know, then he can you know he can mention you as being one of his heroes when he gives his That's induction right. speech. And why wouldn't I be? <laughs> and uh, why not? Uh, yeah, if you recall the speech Larkin gave when he was inducted into the Reds Hall of Fame, he named everybody and their brother anyway. So I might be able to get my name on that list if we get yeah, a couple more years. Yeah, I think you and I were the only people he didn't name that day. <laughs> I, I know it. So. Um, 
Well, before we uh, leave that topic, uh, Dave Parker, former Red, got 82 votes, 15%, so he'll hang around on the ballot, but he's not making much headway. But I don't understand, you know, if you're going to put Dawson in, uh, if, if Parker has an awfully good case if you're looking just uh, yeah, at the numbers. But, yeah, but we, uh, we both know why Dave's not get, getting the, the attention he should. Um, the drug thing, you know, in Pittsburgh, Dave will never get in. It's a shame that, that you know, but, yeah, I agree. You know, that, that's why he's not getting the attention. He, at least one of the reasons why he's not getting right. the attention. He's I watched him play when he came to Cincinnati, and I'll tell you what, he carried that ball club on his shoulders. He did. He was so much fun to watch uh, when, during his time in Cincinnati. And that really wasn't even during his prime, but golly, he was amazing. Um, same with Tim Raines, the, the drugs issue. I think Tim Raines should be a shoe-in Hall of Famer, and he's not, and that's a, a part of the reason. So, uh one other a former Red on the ballot didn't get any votes. Do you remember who it was? Did you see it? Mike Jackson, who was on the Reds for one year. Had a pretty good year with the Reds out of the bullpen. He was on the ballot. and Unbelievable, he didn't, didn't get any votes. Although some moron out there who ought to have his ballot revoked for, uh, for the future voted for David Segui for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I see that. You know, you, yeah. some, somebody that had a ballot left Barry Larkin off, but he put David Segui on. Yeah, I'd love to see if that guy and didn't Pat vote for Larkin. I would. And yeah, Kevin Pat Appier. Yeah, really. You know, I mean, yeah. You know, it's but, like it's like you know, we'll, we'll watch it. Watch the, the 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 waves I'll create with this ballot. You know. <laughs> exactly. I, I wish they'd release who did that. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, I think go you'd ahead. Get a lot better voting if they had to sign their names to it and and publicize who they voted for. And they're all, I agree, I agree, and that'll never happen. But, uh, you know, the, the group of people that uh, are voting change every year. There were a couple of guys from ESPN.com that are real sort of sabermetric type guys that got a ballot uh, or, or been allowed to join the Baseball Writers Association. They'll have uh, votes in the future, and it changes every year. People drop off, and come, some people come on. So maybe one day, you know, uh, there'll be a little less controversy, but there's always going to be controversy. So. Yep. It's, it's fun to talk about, if nothing else. All right, well. Uh, anything else you got for us today? We'll uh, go ahead and wrap up there. If not, I think that'll cover today. All right. Well, uh, appreciate you joining us again, Bill. And uh, thank all you guys and gals for downloading the podcast. Uh, always fun. If you want to look at our previous episodes of Red Leg Nation Radio, there's a tab up at the top of redlegnation.com where you can do that. You can uh, also subscribe on, from that page via iTunes. And, you know, go to, go to Red Leg Nation and uh, follow us on Twitter and uh Become a Facebook fan. Boy, we're all about the social media now, aren't we? Now, don't be bad-mouthing Facebook. Some of us old folks get over there and have a good time. Yeah, we've, we've had that talk, and uh, you've, about, you've almost talked me into it. So well, that, that's another conversation for another day. Uh, thanks, as always, to Bill Lack and uh, to all of you out there. Until next time, this is Chad Dotson. So long. Bye.